Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, and we're wrapping up our series in the seven churches of Revelation. And so uh, if you've been walking through this with us, you'll recognize that last week we finished the letter to the seventh church in Revelation, um, which means pastors are either bad at math or we had something that we really wanted to uh, make sure that we shared. Um, and while none of us are great at math, um, we did do this uh, intentionally. Um, and what we wanted to do was craft a, 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 as in the same way that Jesus crafted letters to these seven churches and gave them commendations and talked to them about things they were doing good, but also a warning for them if they continued down this route. We wanted to do the same thing. And so hear me on this. We are not inserting things into scripture, okay? We are not, uh, I am not writing words that Jesus specifically would say, but as we look at our culture, as we look at our church, as we look at the church in Kings County and the church in, in uh, the Western America or Western United States, all that stuff, um, that there is a warning that I want to put forth and I'm going to back it up with other scripture. But uh, we wanted to make sure that, that, that we took an opportunity to, to have that kind of warning as we, as we move through it. Um, and, and the reason is, is because as we look at the church in Western culture, there is a concerning trend um, as you look at statistics. Um, and there's some really healthy churches in, in, in our culture. There's some not as healthy churches in our culture. Um, but that being said, all of them, if you have to sum up all of them, I have, I have some concerns, especially in light of what the statistics tell us about the health of the church in America. Because if you look at the, those specific stats, what you'll see is that church is on a severe decline. Um, actually, if you look at those stats really, really closely, uh, in, in, uh, in 2023, 63% of Americans would claim that they are Christians, they are followers of God. And for many of us, we may think, there was, oh, 63%, 63%, that's not bad. I got a college degree with the 63%, as a matter of fact. And so I'm doing, I feel like I'm doing pretty good at 63%. There's way too much laughter this service at that joke. Um, transcripts now. Um, anyway, um, and so we may think, oh, the church is doing really, really well. But if you, if you went back 10 years, only 10 years ago, we would see that actually 75% of Americans would say that they were Christians. So in a mere decade, not super long, especially for those of us who are nearing 40, but in a mere decade, right, all of a sudden we see this trend moving away from church and away specifically from religious affiliation as a whole. That is concerning. There's partner that with, with a growth in a group of people that they would call the nuns. There has been a growth of 13% of people in America who would say, if they were asked the question, what is your religious affiliation, they would simply say, none. They simply say, we have zero religious affiliation. And then the stats, actually, the stats get even worse when you begin to factor in age demographics, right? If you look at the youngest generation polled, most of whom are Gen Z, you will see that only 17% of people between the ages of 18 and 29 years old would call themselves Christians. 17%. That's startling. 
right? None of you guys got a degree with 17%. Okay? That's absolutely startling. This means that older generations, as older generations pass away, the younger generations are not backfilling for them statistically. And so that means there is largely a lack of a care and lack of a concern for the kingdom of God. Two things. If you're in here this morning and your first thought was that the younger generation just needs to do better, you're wrong. That is not what these statistics actually indicate. This is indicative of the effectiveness of the Western church in the generation of Gen Z's parents and the generation of Gen Z's grandparents. That's largely what this is indicative of. This is not solely a young person issue. This is a kingdom of God issue and our hearts should break and our hearts should hurt for those who don't know who Jesus is or don't have an intimate relationship with him. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is this means that we need as the church to do everything in our power to make sure that people of every generation, including Gen Z, has an opportunity to encounter the living God. That's what this should, this should put forth. And these, like I said, these stats should hurt your heart. I've got five boys, one of which is going to be 18 years old in like three and a half years. The rest of them are really, really close behind. And to know that they're entering into the world that has little respect or little concern for God is terrifying to me as a parent. And I should do everything that I can do to ensure that my kids know who Jesus is and have a relationship with him as well. That means getting them to church even when they don't feel like it. That means giving, getting them to church even when I don't feel like it, which is more difficult for me because I kind of have to be at church. But for you, that's what, that, that's what that means. That means teaching them in our home about God, that means getting them involved in community that loves the Lord. That means praying for them regularly that they would one day accept the faith, saving faith of Jesus into their lives. Right? One of my greatest joys has been baptizing four of my five sons. I'm not an emotional guy, but you see me dunk one of my kids like tears are coming. Right? But I also know that ahead of them is a crisis of faith. That at some point in their life, they are going to have to transition from this is what mom and dad believe to this is what I believe. And that is concerning to me. And I know it's coming. And so that being said, what is it that I, what is it that I can do to help them bridge the gap between mom and dad's faith that they taught us about to my personal saving faith and my relationship with the Lord? That's concerning. But here's the kicker. As I was writing this message, and even maybe as, as I'm talking through this, both me and others in here, we want to, like, as we see those statistics of only 17%, and we see those statistics of Christianity just, just on the decline, one of the first things that we want to do is we want to vilify culture for the poison that it brings into the world. We want to vilify it and say, this is culture's fault. Culture is so bad. And our churches make culture the culprit of the statistical decline of Christianity in Western America. Can I just say, I don't think that is the reason that young people and the American West are fleeing the Christian church. I don't think it is. We recognize that the world has always been in a state of decline. Look at any great cultures in the past. 
And you'll see decline. And I guarantee there were Christians who were looking at everything that was going down and they were just like, man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Look how evil this culture is. Look how terrible these, these people are. So here with that, like here is my letter to the church in Hanford. And hear me, I know I'm not Jesus, okay? Please don't email me telling me I'm a heretic and I'm adding to scripture or anything like that. I'll back it up with scripture, I promise. Okay, but as I look at our current culture, I think if Jesus were to write something to us specifically, this is maybe part of what it would say, and it's going to be on the screen. This is not scripture, okay? All right, we've got that out of the way. Write to the spirit of the church in Hanford saying, I am the Lord your God. I'm the Savior of the world, and I'm sovereign. I know your works, and you have, you have a deep love for me and my word. You love the people who come to be with you. Nevertheless, I have this against you. While you understand that the things of the world are evil, you revel in it. You can't get enough of the culture that surrounds you, even as you cast it down as reprehensible. Your focus on those who don't yet know me is blurred by your obsession with how few call upon my name. Repent. Keep an eye on the unwinding of culture, but revel in love for those that I have put in your care so that the whole world will come to know and glorify my Father in heaven. There's an interesting thing happening I feel like in the western world and hear me I know Jesus's words would be a whole lot better than mine but here's my concern while we know we should not love the world right first John 2 15 and 16 says don't love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for everything in the world the cravings of sinful man the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the father but from the world First John tells us, don't love the world. And I'm not accusing the church. I'm not accusing Christians of loving the world. The church has somehow turned its focus from, from the impacting the world for the sake of Jesus to standing outside of the world and calling it evil. And we obsess over this. Right? Almost every single week I stand up here and I talk about how the world is going to hell. Right? How your job has fallen out because you have a sinful boss. How your marriage is falling apart because of sin. How your kids need stronger parents because we aren't following Jesus closely enough. And somehow we become really, really good at hearing the first part of the message that is preached. But we're falling, like the second part just is falling on deaf ears. Right, the first part of the pastor's message when we talk about like the shortcomings, we talk about sin issues, we talk about how terrible of a place the world is, and we just miss the second half somehow where there is a resolution and there's a practical application to move ourselves forward towards holiness, towards sanctification on a regular basis. And hear me, like, like, the, like we don't just like come to church and we don't want to expand the kingdom of God just in depth so we can become more holy. It's so we can make an impact for the kingdom of God. Right? One of the things that we haven't done a great job on recently is talking about the idea of oikos. When I first got here, it was like the oikos was the landing point for every single message it felt like sometimes. 
And if you're new with us, you're like, I don't even know what Oikos is. In the seat back in front of you behind that QR code, um, there is an Oikos card. And if you're not familiar, if you need a new one, whatever, take it. But if you just want to look at it as I'm talking through stuff, feel free to look at it. And if you don't want it, you can throw it back, go, throw it back in there. But the term oikos is a Greek term that literally means household. This isn't something we invented. This isn't some like fancy, new, like cool, oh, it's a Greek word and it's going to have more significance or whatever. This word is a word that is found in Scripture over and over and over again. This isn't invented. This is found. Okay? And it's all over the place in the Bible. Luke 8.39, there's a story about the, a guy, he's a, he's a demoniac. And Jesus and his disciples, they go, across, uh, they go across the Sea of Galilee. And over there's this demoniac. And he's crazy. And he's got all these demons in him. He's like, I am legion. And Jesus then like throws him into a bunch of pigs. Not the guy, but the demons. And the pigs run off the cliff. And the demon, the, like the demoniac, all of a sudden he's cured of, this, uh, of all of these demons. He's healed from this demonic oppression that he's got going on. And then he's sitting there and he's like, hey, Jesus, can I come with you? And Jesus is like, no, you can't actually come with me. The demoniac is actually told to return to his oikos, return to his household and describe the great things that I have done for you. Or Luke 19.9 is Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus and, and Zacchaeus was told that salvation has come on his oikos, his household, or John 4:53, the centurion's entire oikos household was saved through the healing of his son. Or Acts 18:8, Luke describes how Crispus, Crispus is a leader in the synagogue at Corinth. He believed the Lord with all of his heart, and so did his oikos, his household. Or Luke 15, there's three parables. There's the lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son, and all of them tell of the rejoicing when the lost was found in all three of the cases. They told their friends and they told their family and the message of hope was passed on through their oikos. And there's even more. John 1, 40, specifically verses, or John 1, 40 and 41 talks about Andrew bringing his brother Peter to Christ, his oikos, which I'm thankful for. That's my namesake. John 1, 44 and 45 talks about Philip bringing his friend Nathaniel to Christ, two more of Jesus' disciples. Right? Oikos isn't something that we just talk about because it sounds cool or people are familiar with it because it's yogurt or whatever. Like That's not what it is that we do. I know you guys are all thinking it. You're like, oh, I need to get yogurt. Put it on my shopping list right now. This is something that is found throughout Scripture, and it's used all over the place. But what does it mean for us? Right? The way we phrase it is that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed 8 to 15 people in your relational world for you to make an impact for the kingdom of God. That's what it means. That means that, that there are people that you already know, people that you already interact with, people that you may live with, that you are responsible for making an impact in their lives for specifically the kingdom of God. God has placed you in their life in order for you to bring them into the kingdom. And so we've preached about it, we've talked about it, but the issue becomes if we don't continue those conversations, if we don't continue to fight towards a bigger and a deeper kingdom of God, then God has every single right to remove our lampstand as a church, just like he warned the church in Ephesus of in the very beginning of our series. Because we aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing. And I think one of the reasons that we aren't doing our job as effectively as we could be is because we are so distracted by how terrible 
the world is. All right, let me see if I can make more sense. Okay, I've done four object lessons in my entire tenure here at FBH. I know there's some of you in the congregation who love object lessons. Um, and so really, this is me just keeping up with my quota of one like every one and a half years. Okay, so this is, here's your bone, and then I'm not going to do it again for a year and a half. So, but this is kind of like what happens, right? This is our focus. And we all understand, like this, this, this blue dyed water, this isn't the actual color of our water if you're drinking it. Okay, this is dyed blue water. Okay, this is representative of our focus. And we all know in here, especially young parents, that you have a finite amount of focus and energy that you can give to things throughout the day. Okay, young parents, you know this because like at the end of the day, you're like, I literally cannot listen to you anymore. Okay, go to bed, right? Or like me, I got my kids and then I come home from work and then, and then my kids, they're, they're home all the time, right? I don't know why, okay, but they're always there and then I put them to bed and then my wife tries to have a conversation with me later and the, the, the phrase that I have to keep saying is what, right? Because my focus is gone, right? I have none left. So we can agree that all of us have a finite amount of focus and a finite amount of energy to give every single day. But this is what happens, is as we have, as we have this focus and we just, like, like we get inundated with all of the things that are happening in the world, specifically in our culture. And so like we wake up, we brush our teeth, maybe we do our quiet time, but then the next thing we're gonna do is, you know, I'm gonna log on to Facebook or Instagram or X or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever it is that the next thing is that's coming out. And our focus just starts to just kind of look at the culture of what's going on. And then something crazy happens. There's like an insurrection at the Capitol or there's like a war going on in Israel. Or there's a war going on in Ukraine. And all we're doing is we're just focusing on how terrible and how evil the world is. And we're like, oh wait, Israel's at war? Shoot, that means that I should really focus on what's happening at end times. I should really focus on Revelation because maybe the world is coming to an end. And that means I should probably talk to my oikos about it. So I think about them a little bit. And then as I talk to them, I'm like, wait, I wonder what's going on in culture. I wonder what is happening now that an hour has gone by and that's how long the news cycle is. And all we do is just push and focus on culture and then every once in a while we're like, oh, because culture is so bad, I should talk to some people about Jesus. And that's oftentimes where the church lands is we just sit outside of culture and we're just like, man, that culture's evil, but I'm just gonna keep looking at it. I'm going to keep staring at it. I'm going to keep putting all of my time and my energy into thinking about how terrible everything is. And we never get in the bowl. We're never going to do a cannonball into this thing, right? Because we know that it's evil. We know that it's bad. We know the Bible tells us that we're not supposed to love the world. And so I'm never going to go into it fully, but I'm going to stand outside of it with my hands on my hips and talk about how evil it is. And we just get infatuated by it. And we just, like, we just crave it and we want more of it and more of it and more of it. And not because we want to sin, not because of the fact that we're like, oh, you know what, man, I am, I am so excited to go out drinking with my buddies and hear about how terrible the world is. Or I'm so excited to hear about what disaster has happened or how many people have died today or what tragedy there, there is going on or what, 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 what's going on in like the political world. Oh, wait, hold on, it's a little bit more. Who's the Speaker of the House going to be, right? Like all of these things, like we just continue to look at culture and we largely are turning our back on our oikos and we're not focused on them. We don't, we're not concerned about them. Or every once in a while, I'm like, oh, wait, hold on, I should, prob I, should probably, I should probably throw them a bone as well. 
And so what's the issue? The issue is, is that the enemy knows that if we're constantly distracted by the noise of the world, it's going to keep us from hearing the voice of God. It's going to keep us from loving our oikos to the best of our ability, which means sharing Jesus with him. And so when Satan can't destroy us, he distracts us. And distraction, it's not found very often in the Bible. We have some great examples of people being distracted and missing out on what is most important. The first two that I thought of, I thought was kind of comical, right? Samson was distracted from his purpose, right? Shocker. It was a woman who distracted him, right? Not because women are bad. No, that's not what I meant. That came out wrong. Because men are typical men, right? That's, that's where I was going with it. I can say that because I'm a man, right? Um, so Samson, distracted, distracted by this beautiful woman, classic man. Is that better the way I said that? Okay. Um, and then the second one I thought of was David, right? What was David distracted by? Naked woman on the roof. Shocker. Okay. So he's distracted from what he had. But I, I, I largely think the best idea of distraction, it comes from the gospel, specifically in Mark, or Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. If you've been around church, this is a familiar story to you. But this is what it says. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's a prime example of being distracted, right? Her intentions were good. All of you type A's, you're always like, oh, Martha's my hero, but I can't say that because she's not the good one in the story, right? Um, and so, like, we love, like, her intentions were good, but Jesus was there. She wanted, I mean, she wanted to serve Jesus, but while doing so, she forgot that the most important thing was spending time with him. She got so distracted by all of the noise, by everything else that she wanted to do and she wanted to learn about, and all that she forfeited time on simply being with him and sitting at his feet. And while some of these, these examples are distractions because of, of sin that they're dealing with, right, Samson and David specifically, Jesus was there, and, and she wanted to serve Jesus. And so Jesus, even, like, like he never calls what Martha is doing sinful. What does he say? He simply says that what Mary is doing is better. What Mary is doing is, is better. Here's my proposition to the church. Repent of this. Jesus says this all the time in the book of Revelation. Repent. So you're going one way, turn around, go the other way. Do the things that you know that you're supposed to do. And do whatever it is that you need to do to get undistracted from the culture. Delete social media. Did you know that's an option? I don't know if you guys knew that. That's an option to actually delete social media. The world will continue to turn. And I know what your excuse is. Well, that's how I keep up with friends and family. You have a phone on you all the time, right? Text them, call them. You want to freak them out? Write them a handwritten letter, right? Deleting social media is an option. If that's a distraction for you, or maybe it's just the people that you follow on social media. You're not required to follow everybody on social media because oftentimes there's that noise and that pollution that you're just like, I, like, I, am just, I, I, want, to, I want to learn more about this. 
And so you can, you can do something like that. You want to not be distracted? You want to get undistracted? Like pledge to yourself that your family won't miss church the rest of the year. I'm not saying like we're the end-all, be-all of everything, but we are God's plan A for the world. And so pledge that you're not going to miss church for the rest of the year. Or, or get into a small group. Get surrounded by people who think like you. Or get surrounded by people who, who don't think like you, but ultimately love Jesus as much as you, if not more than you. Right? So join, join a small group. Maybe your distraction is like stuff and acquiring wealth and that sort of thing. You want to know how to get rid of that distraction? Give it away. Start giving. I don't know what it is that you need to do, but kill the distractions in your life for something that is better. And as you realize how much better it is to be enamored by God, then you can begin to simply keep an eye on what's happening in your culture because I do think that that's important. We're responsible adults. We need to contribute to the society in which we are a part of. I don't want you guys to all become monks and hermits and move up into the hills or anything like that and just hide from culture. I don't think that's important. I don't think that's, that's wise. I think we still need to be, understand what's happening, but we just can't be like enamored by it. And as you do that, you can focus on the people that God has put in front of you in the first place. Right, and so the first thing that you do after reading your Bible in the morning shouldn't be to check X or, or log on to Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever. Like maybe it's texting someone in your oikos to encourage them in your day. Maybe that, like, may, I don't know, maybe that's a good way to start not just your day but help them start their day. Right? I'm a dad of a, a couple teenagers and we had said when they start doing things away from the house, away from Sarah and I, that, that they get a phone when they turn 13. I hate phones. I hate, like, as a parent, like, and I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world, right? But I hate them. Because every single time that my kids have downtime, what do they do? I'm going to take out my phone and I'm going to, you know, text my friends or whatever. And so all the time, I'm just, like, frustrated by it. And I'm like, dude, put your phone down. Put your phone down. Put your phone, like, be a human with me, Right? But instead of vilifying a phone, how about instead of that, like I redeem it in some way. And so as I read and as I'm learning and I'm doing different things, I just like take out my own phone where I know that like if he gets a notification, he's going to be like, oh my gosh, I have to get out of my pocket right now and look at whatever somebody said. It's just simply, hey man, I'm praying for you this morning as I was reading. This is a verse that I came across. I hope it encourages you. I'm praying for you today and in your day. I'm praying for you as you engage with your friends in school. I'm praying for you for your test today that you have in Spanish. I'm praying for you today as you go through water polo. And I hope that, that you honor Jesus with your life. Redeem it by not doing this, but by focusing on the people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed in your life or maybe for like you type a sorry type a's you're getting it today uh maybe for you you type a's like you can stop like freaking out on your kids because they're going to be late to school again right and i know who you are because i'm that person too where i'm like why aren't your shoes on how come you only have one sock on right now where's your backpack have you packed your lunch we have to leave do you know how long the drop-off line takes right like an on and on and on and like as the time gets closer like your heart rate goes up and so you're projecting on your kids about that and your kids heart rate goes up and before you know it everybody's upset before they leave for the day right like what if you just stopped for a second take 10 seconds stop for a second 
gave him a hug, say, hey, bud, I love you. I'm praying for you today. I hope you have a good day. Now go find your other shoe and let's get in the car because we're going to be late, right? Like that's all, that's all it needs to look like. That's all it needs to look like. But instead, like removing ourselves from those situations because we're just so focused on what it is that we have, that we have to get done. Why is this important? Why are these things important? It's important because being with Jesus is the best possible news that any of us have ever heard about. And we forget about it. We put it on the back burner. It's like, yeah, that's who I am, but also I got other things I got to get done today. For those of you who grew up in church, you probably are familiar with a, a thing called the Romans Road. And Paul, largely what he does in the book of Romans is he lays out what salvation should look like and our need for it. So I'm going to walk you through that right now. Why? Because the most important thing for people in your oikos to be able to understand. Romans 3.23, it starts off, it tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And all of us are sinners and none of us are innocent because we can never live up to the standard that God has. And here's the most concerning thing about the state of our world is there are people in your life who think they are going to heaven because they are good people. And is the saddest and shallowest understanding of who God is and why he sent his son that I ever hear about. And so because we're all sinners and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, we need to know what the penalty for that sin is. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. So the penalty for that sin is death, both physical death, which we can't escape, and spiritual death, which we have a fighting chance against. Because Romans 6.23b, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then rewind to Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means the wages of those sin, the wages of that sin that every single one of us commit, all of that was put onto Jesus on the cross. He took the penalty of that for all of us. And then Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, Jesus took it on. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it important? Because your world doesn't know that. You are living with people who don't know that. Hear me on this. Once you've acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and you're studying his word, you're leaning into community with other believers, you have no option but to begin to tell your oikos about Jesus. Not because of what is happening in a lost world, but regardless of what is happening in a lost world. It should look like focusing on our oikos. So largely this should look like I'm going to spend my time and I'm going to spend my energy making sure that the people who are in my relational world, those 8 to 15 people, that they understand that Jesus loves them. And I'm going to tell them that, they, that Jesus loves them and I'm going to bring them baked goods and they're dealing through something hard. I'm going to pray for them on a regular basis. When I encounter them at work and I know that they don't know Jesus, man, I'm going to ask them how their day is. I'm going to ask them what their faith looks like. I'm going to have hard conversations. And every once in a while I'm going to say, I need to understand what's going on in the culture to best engage my oikos. So I'm going to look over there for just a little bit. I'm going to understand what's going on, and I'm going to engage with them based on what is going on. And then you go back, and you continue, and you continue, and you continue to focus on your oikos. Because at the end of the day, growing and deepening the kingdom of God is far more important than calling the world evil. We know the world is evil. 
We know that sin has permeated our entire culture, but we just love to stare at it. What if instead we just focused on the people that God has put in our lives as an overflow of our relationship with God, simply keeping an eye on culture at that point? So the question then becomes, how is it that we can put some of these things in place? How is it that we can serve the world and love our oikos best? How can we engage with our community in a very real way? The first thing that we do in all those oikos cars says it is step one, pray for your oikos, right? Pray. And oftentimes I think as Christians, we're just like, ah, yeah, I know I'm supposed to pray. I don't always pray, whatever it may be. Pray for your oikos. It's literally the, the most you can do for them. As cliche as that sounds, it's literally the most that you can do for them is pray that they would simply come into contact with the, the Savior of the world and they would acknowledge him as Lord in their life. Just pray for them. You want to know a really good way to pray for them? Here's my commercial. Tonight we've got a prayer gathering with our prayer team here. You want to know more information about it? Scan the QR code that's right in front of you. Okay, go to events. It talks about all the things that they are doing tonight. But tonight they are going around our whole building and they're walking into different rooms. They're praying for all the volunteers. They're praying for volunteers on stage, out in the lobby, in the kitchen, in our kids' wings. They're doing all of those things. And if you're like, if you're like you know what, I'm going to come, but I am tapped. I cannot pray anymore. I have prayed to my extent and I need someone to go like, pray on my behalf. Great. There's literally a group of people here who's coming who like, that, that, is, that is one of their spiritual gifts, is faith and prayer. Have them come and lay hands on you and pray for you and love you. That's literally the, the, the easiest thing that you can do for engaging your oikos, is to be able to just simply pray for those people. But then we got another thing that we do, and it's happening in a week and a half. We do, we do these big outreach events every year. Right? We got a couple of them. We got Fall Carnival coming up on October 31st. We got lights at FBH that is around the corner. Because if you weren't aware, if you haven't gone to Hobby Lobby lately, Christmas season started like three months ago at Hobby Lobby, right? But (laughs) for normal people, holiday season starts in two weeks, right? And not just Christmas, you got Thanksgiving mixed in there. But we do these big events. And the question then becomes, well, why do we do the big events? Is it just so like Pastor Peter's kids have like safe place to be able to go and get a whole bunch of candy and he doesn't have to pay for it, right? No, it's not why we do these things. We want to provide very, very tangible ways for you to engage with your oikos. And so in a week and a half, next Tuesday, we're going to have over 1,200 people on our campus. And we get to feed them for free thanks to your donations we got bounce houses. We got a hayride that we're adding this year. I'm excited about the hayride that we're adding this year. We got photo booths. We got pumpkin launching, which is the dumbest thing in the world. Can we all agree? And everybody loves it. And if you look at the demographic of people who use the pumpkin launcher, it's usually adult males. Okay? In case you're curious. Okay, but we do stuff like that. But why do we do it? We do it because we want, like, like we got a, we got a cake, a cakewalk that we do every year. And if you're a baker and you can't come, Debbie Fox could use some help with baked goods because she's trying to provide baked goods for like literally over a thousand people. Um, and so if that's you, find Jeff and partner, partner with us. But we do, like, we do these things because we want to provide a space for our culture in a time. Look at culture. 
It's October 31st. Everybody's going out on Halloween. How is it then that we can engage with our oikos based on what's happening in the world? Not culture is evil, Halloween is evil, all the things are evil about Halloween. I'm going to tell my oikos about how terrible everything is. No, we're going to focus here. And we're going to use what culture is already doing to our strategic advantage, which means, hey, you're going to be out and about anyway, and you're comfortable coming to, like, strangers' houses on Halloween. How about you come to a stranger's church on Halloween? Cool? Cool. And so they come in, and they flood in, and we got free pumpkins, and we got, like, all of the different things that you could, you could want here. Irresponsible amounts of candy. Enough candy that if you took some, your kids wouldn't notice, right? Like, that's how much candy we want to give out. And as they come here, we're like, wait, you're doing this no strings attached? false. There's always strings attached, right? So you want to show up and we've got like this booklet and there's a map of all of the different things that we got going on at the church this year. And then right inside, there's a sweet little blur about everything that's going on at our church and beyond that. Here's our service times. Please come and we'll have our prayer and our info booth set up. So if people need prayer, they just want more information about the church, they can go there. And here's my favorite one. We put out a QR code and we're like, hey, you want free stuff? And everybody's like, yeah, of course I want free stuff. Scan the QR code. Give us your name and your email address and you'll be entered into a drawing. What do you think we do with that information? We email them. And we tell them, hey, look, these are our service times. Here's what's going on. We've got lights at FBH coming up. Here's our Christmas Eve services. Come, be a part of us. Come, be, like, come see and hear about the good news of Jesus. Why? Because we're understanding culture. We're not infatuated with it. We're understanding culture, and we're using it to our strategic advantage to impact our oikos for Jesus. I want to be a church so badly where the next generation of believers doesn't walk away. That our retention rate isn't 17% of the next generation who says, I love Jesus. That, it would be, that we would strive for 100%. And I know that's not going to be the case. I know at some point everybody has to choose their own path. But I want to make it as difficult as possible for people in Kings County, in California, in the Western church I want to make it as difficult as possible for them to go to hell. That should be my hope. That is my hope. That is my prayer, and it should be yours as well. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Martha's example. And God, we recognize the the difficulty as we live in a culture that just inundates us. We recognize that's hard, but God, I pray that we wouldn't be infatuated by it, that we wouldn't just focus on how terrible everything is. We would understand what's happening in the world to bring hope to those people that you've placed in our lives. And so God, today, I believe that there are people in this room that that are here who needed to hear this message, not just for the sake of impacting their oikos, but because they have never yet acknowledged you as Lord and Savior of their life. And so if that's you this morning and you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you want to have eternity with God and not away from him, you can simply pray along with me. We call them the ABCs. Simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me, to die on a cross for me. 
and see that I would choose to follow you every single day of my life. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.